Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Forever My Vampire, written by Tony Paul de Visage. An Amusing and Imaginative Romance A hundred years before, the brave menfolk of Bailey Whaley drove a vampire from their midst. Then a new century rolled around. Now it's 1929, and the monster has returned. Or has he? Carol Novotny is handsome, well-mannered, and definitely up-to-date. He dances the Charleston and owns a Stutz Bearcat. With his movie star good looks, he causes quite a sensation among the village lasses. Unfortunately, he has the same name as the former monster, and that's causing the Bailey Whaley fathers some worry. Seamus Flannery considers himself a sensible person. He isn't much for believing in vampires or other things that go bump in the dark. Nevertheless, he's bothered by the mysterious newcomer's attentions to his daughter Bridget. When Bridget and the other girls become inexplicably ill, it's time for Seamus to do a little digging into Bailey Whaley's past and find out what really happened that terrible night before someone does something young Mr. Novotny will regret. What Seamus doesn't know is that there's someone living in Carol's manor house who holds the answers he needs, and he's guarding that secret with his immortal life. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Forever My Vampire. Chapter 1. Ballywhaley, Ireland, 1929. Maeve Flannery hummed softly as she leaned over the wood-burning stove. Briskly stirring the ingredients in the cast-iron stewpot, she gave an appreciative sniff. Ah, and ain't it a totally delicious aroma? Probably tastes even better than it smells, or my name's not Maeve Margaret Donovan Flannery. How much longer, darling? Husband Seamus pounded the tabletop, his meaty fist clamped around his spoon. Tis starvin' I am for that wonderful stew you've made. The entire family was seated around the table. Seamus, eldest son Sean, his brothers Oshin, Padrick, and Liam, and daughter Jirdra, like stair steps in descending order according to birth, with darling baby Dennis in his high chair near his mother's place at the end of the table. Be patient, love. Reaching for a pair of quilted potholders hanging on a wall hook, Maeve wrapped them around the handles of the pot and lifted it off the stovetop, glancing casually out the window as she turned. All things come to him what waits, you know. Holy mither! The pot slid from her hands, crashing to the floor, spilling its contents and splashing scalding liquid onto Seamus's leg, thankfully protected by the thick fustian of his trousers, and covering the surface of one hobnailed work boot. Generally, Maeve would be dismayed at the mess. Today, Following a sudden but short and shocked silence, she began to shriek, a little too much reaction as far as Seamus was concerned. Here now, Okusha, what is it? Immediately he was on his feet, shaking tatties and carrots off his boot while skirting the steaming mass of parsnips, onions, and parsley staining the kitchen floor. Sure, you've never been this clumsy before. When she didn't answer but continued screaming, though it was now reduced to short, sharp screeches resembling a steam locomotive's high-pitched shrieks, he caught her by the shoulders, giving her a rough shake. A sharp slap was what she needed, but Seamus was too gentle a man to hit a woman, 
even a hysterical one. Sun Shan had gotten up also, starting toward his mother, but when his father continued to shake her, he hesitated, as if uncertain what to do. Though his father was quick to discipline his children, he'd never raised a hand in cruelty to anyone, especially not their ma. The unexpectedness of what was happening frightened the boy almost as much as did Maeve's continuing screams. Behind Sean, the other children looked at each other in panic. The baby, hearing his mother's cries, added his own voice to the confusion, shrieking at the top of his little lungs. Healthy pipes the wee one had. For a moment, there was total chaos, Maeve and the child wailing in awful counterpoint. Only the most sardonic would have found it grimly amusing. With a strangled whimper, the mother quieted first. Pressing her face against the bosom of Seamus's shirt, she began to sob, softer and more controlled until the sound died away completely, while he helplessly patted her shoulder. At last, she managed enough breath to gasp, The manor house! There's someone in the manor! I saw a light! Is that what all this caterwauling's about? Seamus's expression changed to disbelief. There's someone at the manor! Why, the place has been empty for a century now. I imagine it has been sold for taxes or something is all. And now the new owners come home to claim the old wreck. Probably some rich American who'll be shipping it back home stone by stone. I hear they like to do things like that. He managed to be casual about the whole thing. It was nothing to him if the Yanks wanted to buy all of Bally Whaley and cart it away, providing they paid the inhabitants a good and fair price, of course. No, Maeve protested. Raising her head, she pointed a trembling finger at the kitchen window. "'Tis that foreigner. He's come back. See for yourself." Over her head, her husband stared at the dark silhouette visible to any house in the valley. Briefly, he didn't move, simply focused on that one bright point of light in a tower window. It seemed to stare back at him like a single, gleaming eye, twinkling slightly, as if in malicious mischief. At last, he nodded. "'Well, there's someone there, and that's a true fact. That produced an even greater rush of tears from Maeve. Here now. He guided his wife around the rapidly congealing mess on the floor and away from the window to her place at the table. Dennis was still sobbing, and maternal concern set in, overcoming fear. Here now, love. Lifting the still shrieking child from his chair, she cuddled him against her breast and began to comfort him, the mundane task briefly distracting her. Seamus pushed her into her chair, dropping onto the bench beside daughter Deirdre. He waited patiently while Maeve patted and bounced the baby. Once Dennis subsided into murmurs of non-panicked sleep, he said, I swear, I've never truly understood why everyone's so frightened of the old place. Granted, tis all dark and broody looking, but tis only an empty hulk of stone and mortar. He waved a hand at the window and the visible silhouette. Reluctantly, Maeve's gaze followed the gesture. With a shudder, she looked back at him. You don't understand. That's the blessed truth, he retorted. I've lived here twenty-two years now, darling, and in all that time I never heard anyone speak at all about that place without crossing himself, and even then no more than a few words. Remember when Fergus O'Halloran's sheep strayed into that upper meadow? He wouldn't go after him without having old Father Ryan bless him first. Is that a way for a grown man to act? He paused, expecting a laughing agreement. When his wife avoided his eyes and said nothing, he went on with an angry snort. In the name of heaven, what is about the place making you so afeard? I wouldn't expect you to understand, Maeve whimpered. You being a stranger here and all. Stranger! 
Seamus blurted. He looked insulted. After all this time and seven wee ones, I'm still a stranger, am I? Da. Unable to keep silent any longer, Sean spoke up timidly. Da. I know. I'd think. Hmm. What's that you say, lad? Seamus looked at his eldest. I know why they fear the place. We all do. He gestured at his brothers and Deirdre, all nodding confirmation. So, even the little ones know, but your beloved husband you've kept ignorant. Seamus turned to face his son, while Maeve got very busy rocking the still-fretting baby. Well, tell your da. The children looked at each other. It was obvious they were relieved their father wasn't angry at them for knowing something he didn't, and also, they were uncertain if they should tell him. Tis. Sean hesitated, not from fear, but the fact of realizing how absurd it would sound. They say the owner of the manor was a vampire da, a daragdua. Seamus didn't answer. He simply stared at the lad. That's why it has such an odd name, Kasha Ashkuns. Tis called after his own foreign tongue, Hungarian or Romanian or some such. He, he stopped as his father began to laugh. Well now, if he was a foreigner, he couldn't be a Daragdua, could he? Since that's our own homegrown bloodsucker. Lord love you, lad. Do you believe it then? Sean made denying noises. Who'd want to admit believing in things that go bump in the night? Wasn't he of a more modern generation? After all, this was a new century, in the enlightened year of 19 and 29. Seamus brushed aside his protests, letting the silence fall again. When the quiet was heavy in the room, with the only sound the now sleeping Dennis's soft breathing, he stood up, pulling his wife with him. Come, Maeve, the little one's asleep. Put him in his wee crib, and let's get this mess cleaned up. Then we can... A brisk pounding on the door stopped whatever else he would have said. Shall I get that, da? For the first time ever, Sean didn't leap from his seat and dashed to the door, flinging it open in welcome. A course. Seamus couldn't believe his eldest son was so afraid all of a sudden. His answer was brusque to keep from showing the fast-growing fury he was beginning to feel toward the entire town. How the hell could they keep something like this hidden from me? You'd think after this long I'd be accepted enough to be let in on all of Ballywhaley's secrets, no matter how ridiculous or frightening. Don't keep whoever's out there waiting. Taint polite. Obediently, Sean went to the door, unlocked, and opened it. Peering out, he said, Oh, tis you. Come in, then. And swung open the door, revealing Connor Leary's middle boy standing there, torch in hand, and looking very young and very scared. Hello, Egan. Seamus greeted the boy in his usual cheery way. What are you doing out this time of night alone? Not thinking of running away from home, are you? Nah, Mr. Flannery. The child's denial belied his expression. He truly looked as if he'd like to do exactly that. Mida sent me to tell you there's a meeting tonight at Town Hall. Right now, in fact. And you're to be there. Well then, I'd best get myself on the way. Seamus didn't have to ask what it was about. He was pretty certain he knew. How it was going to turn out, also, unless he could inject some level-headedness into the whole proceedings. Tell you what, lad, I'll walk you back home, and then I'll head on over. He noted Egan didn't bluster or protest he was old enough to take himself home, but waited anxiously whilst Seamus gathered his jacket and cap and bade Maeve and the children goodbye. Connor's calling a town meeting, he told his wife, glancing out the window again. The light in the tower still gleamed, bright and steady. Lord, I hope some dim-witted clot isn't storming up there with his hunting rifle cocked. Sean, 
Ida, help your mother while I'm gone, to clean the floor and find something else to feed the children. Slouching into his jacket and clapping his cap onto his head, Seamus walked into the night, beckoning for Egan to follow. To show his lack of fear, he didn't take a lantern with him to light his way. Egan's little light would be enough. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Forever My Vampire. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.